Welcome to Bloodbath, a true crime podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jamie. Wait a second. Did you say true crime? I did. So, like, if I don't like gory details or I get triggered easily, then maybe this isn't the podcast for me. Especially this episode. Yikes. Yikes a roomie. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the blanket trigger warning. You're welcome. Here for you. Thanks. <laughs> well, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. It's time for the show. back for today's case we just have one case today because she's a long one it's a doozy it's an ash centric episode we're, we're going into it are we allowed to say that oh morbid i just i just did it like naturally <laughs> what up ash and elena not that you listen <laughs> go listen to morbid okay so i have been wanting to do this case since the very beginning of bloodbath over a year ago and it is the lululemon murder bum 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 I'm over here thinking this is like kind of a cut and dry, tiny little case. Oh, no, honeys. Oh, no. We are at 18 pages. (laughs) There's very little information about it. There's more information than you would think, whatever, compared to last week's case, MLK's case. Mm -hmm. But still, this is for all the haters that are like, all they do is copy and paste Wikipedia. Bitch, Wikipedia page has a paragraph on this. I read a 350-page book for this. <laughs> Proud of you. Back up. <laughs> Thank you. I haven't finished it yet, but I needed it mostly for getting to know our victim and our suspect. So the book's really okay. good, though. And I'll get into what the book is called and everything here shortly. But let's get started. So we're going to start with a bit of a bystander effect. Yeah. Okay. Nobody likes What's, that. What, is, what does that mean? As in, like... You hear a noise, like I did in the woods, and I was just like, (laughs) when I heard the screaming from the woods, and I was like, it's fine. (laughs) You were like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. At least for me, though, I never actually found out if something happened. Unfortunately for 29-year-old Yana, she would. So 29-year-old Yana was at the Apple store, closing from a busy day of selling the newly released iPad 2 on March 11th, 2011 in downtown Bethesda, Maryland. It was a little after 10 p.m. when she started to hear some noises that were not coming from inside her store. She zoned in to where she thought she was hearing the noises and started to hear squeals, high-pitched yelps, grunts, thuds, and dragging noises. In my defense, all I heard was like children screaming in the woods, okay? I would have heard all this now. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Don't shake your head at me like that. She didn't want to jump to conclusions because, after all, this part of Bethesda was a really safe area. There was little to no crime, so instead she called over to the security. Bethesda only saw about a max of, like, 20 murders a year, which, compared to Washington, D.C., is immaculately different. Mm -hmm. The security guard came up, and together they started walking around trying to pin exactly where the noises were coming from. They got back into the Apple store and realized it was coming through the wall where on the opposite side was the Lululemon Athletica store. Yana and the security guard got closer to the wall and they could hear someone saying, talk to me, don't do this. And then, God help me, please God help me. The guard 
banged on the wall and he just like shouted like what's happening over there and just went silent no more sounds so he figured well yana was like dude should i call the cops and he was just like i think it's just some drama between like coworkers, and they're fine like it's it's no big deal like it's bethesda it's fine and with that yana was also convinced like it would be dumb to call the cops it would not have been dumb to call the cops oh no there would be no saving of one of our victims even if they were called at that moment but mm, maybe but mm. <laughs> we'll get into it <laughs> okay so saturday march 12th 2011 we're going to kind of go back and forth but i'll let you guys know what time period or we're in at the moment like what the timeline is uh march 12 2011 the next day ryan hugh got up at the crack of dawn and headed over to the apple store in bethesda his goal was to either be the first in line or near the front of the line because the previous day he had been in line for two hours to get the iPad 2 at another store, but they sold out before he got up there. He arrived at Bethesda's Apple store at 7.45 in the morning, two hours before they would open. He was glad to see that he was the first one in line, so he just took a seat at a bench, took out his iPhone, kept himself entertained for a couple hours, or was going to. But by 8 a.m., a decent amount of people had lined up behind him, He's first in line. He got up with the ass crack of dawn to do this. And then he mm-hmm. sees this girl walk by him with bright orange workout shoes and like Lululemon Athletica clothing on and go up mm-hmm. to the store and start opening it. That's when she or that's when Ryan hears her and she's just like, hello? Hello? Like inside the store, confused. Mm-hmm. And then Ryan could hear her on the phone and he's picking up things she's saying, her name, the address of the store, and he's picking up that she's in distress. So once Rachel ends the call with who was 911, she turns to him and she's like, have you seen anyone enter this store or like come out at all? And he was like, no, and I've been here since early morning. Like I mm-hmm. haven't seen any type of movement whatsoever. He asked Rachel if she wanted company, like to see what was happening because she was scared and so this good samaritan he's not our bad guy he just gets out of line after waiting two hours a previous day and not getting the ipad and then getting up ass crack of dawn to make sure he can get it gets out of line to help out rachel Mm. poor guy (laughs) i hope he got his ipad too (laughs) i hope they sent him like a bunch of ipads they were like right like he gets it forever He gets all the updated ones whenever they come out. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be really nice. So both Ryan and Rachel go into the store really slowly because it does look like there's been a burglary. So they don't want to like fuck with shit, you know? Mm -hmm. They could see that things were thrown around and it appeared to be a burglary, which Ryan noted how much these products were worth. We are talking $98 leggings. Mm -hmm. Fucking expensive. If you know Lululemon, you know. If you don't... (laughs) You're going to be educated today. <laughs> <laughs> when he started uh, noting bloodstains all around, as he got closer to the back of the store, he was getting a lot more nervous. He made his way to the back where there was a purple door and way more blood. He yelled out if anybody was there, but he didn't hear anything. He carefully then pushed the door open, but it was stopped. He could see a pair of legs wearing leggings with blood all over was what was stopping the door from opening. Oh, no. He bent down just to see if there was any movement or any type of breathing. 
And then he yelled out to Rachel that there was a body back there and he thinks she's dead. He started heading back to Rachel when he noticed two bathrooms that were right off to the right. Both of the doors were open as if like from the previous night's task of cleaning them, they leave them open. And he could see another person with her legs bound at her, like at her ankles and also her arms. Wanting to see if this person was alive, he approached the bathroom. He would later tell cops that when he saw her, her hands were zip tied and placed over her head. So her hands were zip tied together and willingly just like over her head. It's suspicious. Okay. <laughs> we'll get into it as always. Okay. That's weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, her pants were torn in the crotch. Her ankles were also zip tied and her face was all bloody. Ryan could see that she was breathing, so he asked, are you okay? And she just grunted and moaned in pain. So Ryan came out to meet with Rachel in the front, who was already back on the phone calling 911. Like, uh, help. (laughs) Dead bodies? (laughs) Yeah. Within seconds, a police car came flying into the parking lot and an officer jumped out. She drew out her gun and started making her way into the store. There was only silence as Rachel Ryan and now the people in line at the Apple store who are not getting out of line, (laughs) but still watching or just like looking like, what the fuck is happening? Still getting my iPad. But what is happening? Mm -hmm. The paramedics arrive and ran in with their stretcher. They shortly came back out with one of the victims on the stretcher with a black blanket on and she was just moaning in pain. The people could see the blood on her face as she was loaded into the ambulance. So let's get into the detectives. That's one of my favorite parts about this book by Dan Morse. And it's called The Yoga Store Murder, The Shocking True Account of the Lululemon Athletica Killing. Nice long title, straight to the point. You know exactly what you're reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's by Dan Morse. And if he, I'm going to look up if he has more books because I am thoroughly, I'm almost done with the book, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So Detective Drury woke up to, call, to the call about the yoga shop. He got, I keep wanting to say yogurt. <laughs> well, there is a yogurt shop, Killers. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which just hasn't been solved yet. That one's insane. Mm-hmm. He got ready and headed to the yoga store in his unmarked county issued Dodge, I think it's Entropede type sure. of car. I'm not a car person. <laughs> Detective Drury was, ex- was explained by colleagues to be a real life version of Lesser Freeman, who played a detective on the show The Wire. He kept to himself, rarely hanging out with his colleagues. He was the son of a school teacher and funeral home director, where one day when Drury was 13 years old, he was at work with his dad as he was working on a victim that got shot four times. So it's safe to say that he was familiar with death. Mm -hmm. Drury's older brother had gone to Harvard University and was the first African-American to serve as president of his high school student council. Drury was also later elected vice president in his class. He was in school for pre-med, then dropped out and became a postman. Dan Morris, the author of the book, said that Drury started having nightmares that he was being buried by mail. <laughs> Poor guy. Oh, my God. And he talked to his father-in-law, who was, the, who was the director of the D.C. Department of Corrections. And after talking with him, he ended up becoming a cop in 1979. And then eight years later, he joined the Major Crimes Unit. Nice. I can relate to, we can relate to that so much. Have you had Starbucks dreams where you're just constantly on bar and it's just constantly making the drinks? No. Bitch, you're not normal. <laughs> Everyone has the Starbucks dream when you first start. <laughs> no, I don't dream about work. Oh I my God. I dream to never work again. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
I dream to have this be our work. <laughs> yeah. Bloodbath forever. <laughs> no, I don't really dream about that kind of stuff. Dude. And then I'd wake up and have to go to Starbucks. Like, go to work. And I'd be like, I don't want it. <laughs> I think I used to dream at my old job, about my old job. But it was just like being at work, but it wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So his work involved countless murders, rapes, suicides, and drownings. He had a saying that everyone around him knew. Sometimes a provable lie is just as good as the truth, which is so fucking true. Whoa. (laughs) He had a super calm demeanor, and this made his suspects, his suspects, as well as his victims, but his suspects just like naturally talk to him more than you would think a suspect would. They would just keep fucking rambling with him and get caught (laughs) he has like a magic touch that's cool exactly Mm -hmm. detective drury arrived at the store around 9 25 a.m where it was already blocked off by yellow crime scene tape he didn't go into the store yet but talked to the other detectives and sergeant thompson who briefed him in uh sergeant thompson also showed him photos of the surviving girl so before they got her out they had like the photos of how she was like laying down with her arms up and everything. There was also four photos that showed up that showed the other victim, Jaina Murray, Murray. It's M-U-R-R-A-Y. I think it's Murray. It's Murray. Murray. Okay. Cause then I also, we have a guy that comes into the picture later whose name is Murray, but M-A-U-R-Y. That's Mari. Exactly. That's why. No. Mari. Oh my God. <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> okay. So Murray. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, so four photos of Jaina Murray with so much blood around her that it was hard to get a picture of what actually caused her death at the moment. She was also face down with one of her arms under her, so nobody had yet seen her face or the front of her body. And that also indicated that somebody put her there post-mortem. Oh, okay. Post. Post-mortem? Yeah. <laughs> Post. For a second, I felt like that was like the birth Oh, postpartum. Partum. Yeah. <laughs> I just almost Michael Scotted that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> this sounds a lot alike. That's kind of creepy. Uh, two walls and a metal bookshelf where Jaina was found were drenched in blood. You could say it was a bloodbath. Oh. Her hair was soaked with blood and there appeared to be an open gash in the back of her head. She had a rope around her neck, a red toolbox was on her right shoulder, and her pants had been cut open, just as Brittany's had. Sergeant Thompson let Detective Drury know that word had come back from the hospital that Brittany said two masked men had come into the store and attacked them after they closed. More on why Brittany and Jaina were there after closing and the door was unlocked. Later. Okay. So... Rachel's the one who found the store. She's the manager slash supervisor. It's kind of unclear, but I'm pretty sure she's a manager. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of leeway when it comes to the store. And Detective Drury talked with Thompson. And then they were like, okay, so we need to discuss this with Rachel. See See what she saw when she went in. He asked her if she would be willing to sit in his passenger seat as they talked because there are so many people around. The Apple store has people lined up around the fucking block while this is happening. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, of course. She told him all about Lululemon. She was a supervisor slash manager of the store. She told him how this store, her store, had 22 employees. And on Friday, they closed at 9 p.m. 
She let him know that Brittany and Jaina had closed the night that night. And so Drury was able to put together that 28-year-old Brittany was our survivor and 30-year-old Jaina, who was the supervisor on shift, was a dead girl inside. The building still had not been removed yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rachel did not know at this time if either of them were alive or dead. So Rachel then lets him know that the last time that she talked to Jaina was on the phone as she was heading home from work the previous night. She told him how they have a procedure called bag checks to make sure nobody is stealing things in the store, which is completely common. Like my store, my job now does this. She told Drury how Dana and her were talking about how they think Brittany was stealing things. More on that later. But when she was working shifts, things would always go missing. Detective Drury was super confused, though, on how the girls both ended up back in the store if Rachel had been talking to Jaina while Jaina was literally walking to her car. Mm -hmm. Rachel told him that Brittany was texting and calling other coworkers to get Jaina's phone number because she realized that she had left her wallet inside the store and her wallet had her subway slash like bus card in it. Okay. Uh, since she wasn't the supervisor, she wouldn't be able to, she doesn't have a key. She needed Jaina to come back. So, finally, she got the phone number from a coworker and got a hold of her. Uh, Jaina was totally cool with coming back because she had forgotten her laptop as well. So, she came back up. Drury got the numbers of the other coworkers to make sure that this actually happened. And he called them up, and it did. She called all these people. She got Jaina's number. They went back to the store. The rest is history. He then talked to Ryan, let him know how early he let him know how early he was there and how he didn't see any movement in the store like whatsoever and that he just accompanied Rachel cuz he saw that she was scared like, you know. And like the girls that work at Lululemon they cute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> so Ryan was like, "Ryan and Rachel, let's go." <laughs> Ship. A little R&R. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So eventually, a bunch of amazing lead detectives, Sergeant Craig Wittenberger, Detective Dimitri Rubin, crime scene investigator Amanda Kramer, were all called to solve this case. Dimitri was 31 years old and had only been working the homicide department for 13 months, but he was on the top of the list to call because he was such a good detective. They all put on their booties, little, little booties and gloves, and carefully started to make their way into the store. When they made their way into the store, they slowly made it to the back where most of the blood was. They had seen that there was a bloody, bloody, <laughs> bloody hole. <laughs> they had seen that there was a bloody shoe print and they photographed it thinking of what type of shoe it could be. They measured it and it was a size 14 men's shoe. Then the next thing they know, they found a men's 14 size men's shoe. Oh. And it had blood on the bottom of it dried blood uh -huh. and it matched the footprint they were shocked like why the fuck would a person leave their shoes at a crime scene they Make wouldn't zero, like at the very least you would throw it in a dumpster at the very least Jaina eventually was taken over to the autopsy technicians so we have 31 year old mario alston is the first one in the medical room where Jaina's on the table and the bag is open now. He can see her, but he doesn't know what happened yet. Uh, Detective 
uh, Drury and Reuven. Sorry, I don't have that written down. I just had to remember their names on top of my head. <laughs> Detective Drury and Reuven nice. come in and Mario's like, what happened to her? And they're like, oh, they got robbed but are the, the Lululemon stuff. And he's just like silent and like looks at them suspiciously like, like as if they're dumb. <laughs> and he goes... Just by looking at her and also with what she's wearing, her workout gear, I thought she was hit by a car. That's how bad this is. Two more doctors joined Mario, Mary Ripple and Kristen Johnson. They took notice of the rope with its dark red color and coarse fibers. Mary examined her hands and noted dozens of defensive wounds. On her fingers were fibers from the rope indicating that she was able to get her hands under that rope and be able to get it loose for a moment during the struggle. The doctors knew this autopsy would take literally all day. So they sent the detectives on their way and said they would call them. They started going through every single wound, documenting what they found. And when I say that, I mean, they have to like, they have to measure everything. They have to figure out what the patterns of these cuts were to figure out how many weapons, if any, were used or what was used, like, it is so in-depth. They noted that they think she was hit on the head and instinctively grabbed her head, which is why Jana's own hair was in her hand. And they believe that this was the first attack, and then it did, they just kept coming. It okay. didn't stop. They put her clothes in a bag to test for DNA. It's standard procedure to shave a deceased victim's hair to make sure to see if there's any wounds or anything on the head. But as Mario just, like, stared at her long, beautiful hair and, like, seeing what she had gone through, he, like, says out loud, like, do we have to shave her hair? More of a thing out of frustration than, like, an actual question because he knows they have to. But he was just so fucking heartbroken by this. Mario, being the absolute angel that he is, tried to keep as much clean hair as possible for her family. Once her head was shaved and DNA swabs were taken, they washed down her body and they could see the four-inch hole in her skull. The blow to her head caused 13 fractures and it caused her skull to cave in into her brain. Oh my God. Altogether, they found 200 injuries to her face, head, and neck and over 100 to her hands, arms, and shoulders. In total, over 300 injuries. There were five different wound patterns, meaning five different weapons were used. Two rope burns, one around her neck and one around her chin when she was most likely to be able to get it off and then like tucked her chin to like try to get the rope to go up, mm-hmm. but wasn't successful. The worst part though, is that there was blood in the path wounds, meaning that she was alive during this entire thing and they can only hope that she wasn't conscious when this was happening. Mario's done over 3,000 autopsies by by 31, Mm -hmm. and this is his most horrific one he's ever worked. Ever. So, first suspect. Over 300 people called to give names. They thought could have done this. That's a lot of people Mm -hmm. who thinks they have somebody in there. You need to get better friends. Get better friends. (laughs) What are you doing? Get out of there. Most of them gave the name of 44-year-old Keith Lockett. 
The cops were skeptical, though, because he was a regular person around Bethesda. He was a homeless man with a rap sheet that started when he was 19 of cocaine possession, assault and battery, robbery, carrying a loaded gun, disorderly conduct, and beating somebody with a stick. <laughs> the cops know him. Mm-hmm. And he knows the cops. <laughs> They're like, okay, we, that's, that's our guy. We know that guy. <laughs> like, we know Keith. Okay. There was also mentioned that he hung out with a short guy, which... The description of the two masked intruders from Brittany was one tall and one short. Mm -hmm. The detectives found an active warrant for charging him with giving alcohol to a minor, which was a relatively minor charge, but enough to, like, get him booked to come into the interrogation. A minor minor charge. (laughs) We need the the drum sound. (laughs) (laughs) Two drums and a cymbal fall off the cliff. Ba-dums. And people say we're not comedy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So the minor charge mm-hmm. on the minor. And then also the size 14 shoe. Also the fact that Keith was a very odd person. He was a very odd ball. So they didn't think it would be so far-fetched that he would just take the shoes off and leave them there. So they were like, you know what? It's kind of adding up. Let's get them in. Undercover cops were sent all over washington dc area to find him they ended up finding him at a hospital six miles away with bloody clothes and a black eye detectives were excited because they figured they would be able to find jana and Brittany's blood on him which would then solve this case Mm -hmm. but at last they did not it was all just an actual coincidence and he was cleared but still taken down for the alcohol to a minor charge okay He ended up just getting in the fight with some other dude. Yeah. They, yeah. They just got into a fight and then he ended up in the hospital. Okay. Bad time. But he just had the bad rap sheet, but it's also, I mean, how many cases have we done with a bad rap sheet? And then we're always just like, well, you should have known. But like with Keith, it's kind of (laughs) just, it's Keith. (laughs) From what I like read in the book, you know, the cops know him. Like, it's just one of those situations. I feel like when he sees the cops, he's just like not doing anything (laughs) and they're just like okay (laughs) every once in a while he's like okay take me in i know he's like fuck okay he's like can we get coffee first (laughs) he's like y'all got any donuts so let's learn (laughs) right i want a donut so bad okay (laughs) so let's get to know our two girls okay so we're gonna get to know jana first jana's dad david murray 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 Grew up the son of a military officer and earned a scholarship to play linebacker at Texas A&M, which at the time was an all-military school. Mm -hmm. Her mom, Phyllis, was mainly in Iowa and then moved to Texas Lutheran University, which is where she met David. Both of them got postgraduate degrees, Phyllis in family and child development, and David in geological engineering and international affairs. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. Phyllis worked briefly as a therapist before pursuing her career as a flight attendant. Nice. David went to work for Phillips Petroleum, and David was actually in uh, the Vietnam War. Forgot to mention that. And was suffering from really bad PTSD as a result of three of her, three of his friends slash coworkers, soldiers, stepped on a landmine. Oh, my God. And they all died, but he just got severe, like, injuries to his legs. He survived it. But, like, he was there. Oh, no. The survivor guilt. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor guy. So, because of that, he relied a lot on his wife and two sons at the time to keep his spirits up, which they all did really well. 
And then on November 22nd, 1980, his daughter, Jaina, came into the world. And things just began to get way better. <laughs> like, okay. so much better. Jaina was able, or Jaina, Jaina was said to be strong-willed immediately. When she was just two years old, all, like, her brothers, her mom and dad, they would all be reading the newspaper. And she would just get so fucking pissed off because she couldn't read it. Oh, no. Because she couldn't read because she was two, which would end up, like, having her, like, run to her room crying, like, fucking frustrated because she couldn't read. <laughs> A couple years later, she actually, she stole all the wooden spoons in the house and hid them, thinking that that would keep her from getting spankings. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's smart. I can just, childhood trauma. No, that's not childhood trauma. My mama made me go get the brush when I was being bad. <laughs> she had a good life. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking wooden spoons. Uh, a swimming instructor told David and Phyllis that, this is a quote, with guidance, she'll set the world on fire, but without guidance, she will destroy herself. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they were like, okay, guru, we'll, we'll take it and enrolled her into Boy Scouts, which, uh, which David was part of. He had like a little Boy Scout thing. She would carry her own backpack, help pitch the tents, tie knots on her own, make campfires, and do all the things the boys did. Unfortunately, with the rules of Boy Scouts, she couldn't have, like, the pins and patches and stuff. But once they got home, her dad gave them to her. Oh. <laughs> I was about to say, how was she a Boy it's Scout? so cute. Because, like, I had to be a I Girl know. Scout, so. Exactly. It's just because he was part of it, so he was able to, like swing it in you know yeah <laughs> and she'd get the patches at home yeah. and it's so cute <laughs> Jana wanted to do dance classes and the family's rule when it came to instruments or sports of any kind was that you had to dedicate at least an entire year or like whatever time frame that thing is and that's a really good life lesson to have for your children like you don't start a sport and then be like i don't want to anymore in the middle of it no you got to finish it mm-hmm uh, so David would be the one taking her to her dance classes because Phyllis's flight schedule usually it, it didn't get in the way. Like she was still a very prominent parent in her life. But uh, Jaina was in dance classes six days a week for three hours. It's kind of mm. hard for a flight attendant to do all of those. Yeah. So David was the one to take her and he would usually just like sit out in his car and like watch baseball or do something manly i don't know <laughs> just like hang out and one day jana's just like why don't you come into the room like the other parents and watch me mm-hmm. and he's like well i do sometimes so like he would he would go in there for a little bit and then he'd go back out to the car he's just like it's just comfortable in the car and she's like it's dark out here and he's like it's comfortable <laughs> but jana was smart and she picked up on what the problem actually was and that was that her two male dance instructors were gay and he didn't feel comfortable around them. Okay. To which she was like, they're not trying to, like, get at you. They have each other. They're just dancing. And she, like, talked to him. And they had an open conversation together. Mm-hmm. And then he went home that day, talked to Phyllis, talked to his wife. And then the next day, he went into her class for the entire three hours, saw just how amazing these two men were with his daughter and how much they really cared about her. He would later recall how much he loved how his daughter was able to open his eyes to a lot of things that he was uncomfortable with. Wow. 
and that it allowed him to grow and accept people. We so love, We love a good growth story. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so good. Senior year came around, and Jaina was not showing any more ambition as she was before. She didn't care to go to college. She didn't care to get a job. So her mom walked into her room and told her, you have six weeks after graduation to either get a full-time job or get accepted into college. <laughs> or you're yeah. kicked out. That's fair. And unlike two weeks, two weeks ago case, mm -hmm. she didn't try to kill her parents. <laughs> Good. She was like, oh, I get this. And I'm going to be, you know, I get normal this. about it. She stormed out and was like, mom and dad are going to kick me out when she saw like her brother's girlfriend out there. Mm -hmm. And then she applied for two colleges. <laughs> there you go. She applied for uh, University of Central Florida and St. Louis University. Florida, because she thought she could get a job as a dancer at Disney World. Nice. Her dance instructor and, like, anyone that's seen her dance has always told her to do, to do Broadway. Aww. But she kind of found out that, like, they don't really pay very well. So she mm -hmm. was just like, eh. I don't know. But the idea of being a dancer at Disney World was super, like, okay, I, that could be fun. And you get to move to Florida. And then St. Louis was Louis. <laughs> St. Louis was because they had a study abroad situation going on. She ended up getting accepted into that one. Nice. She flew to St. Louis and started school immediately. She took an orientation trip to the Pyrenees Mountains on the border of Spain and France. She got along with everyone and made friends wherever she went. She would go bungee jumping, scuba diving, skydiving, drink margaritas, and dance salsa until like 3 a.m. with all of her friends. Love that. 2006, Jaina had graduated from... George Washington with a degree in international business and marketing and was now back home in Houston, Texas. She started working in marketing at, I think it's called Halliburton, the energy and engineering giant. Okay. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. <laughs> she made a really good friend there named Chastity. They were 100% opposites. Jana, being a 25-year-old blue-eyed white girl, who only put her career first, had zero interest in dating or getting married. And Chastity, who was a 31-year-old African-American with two kids and going through a divorce. Chastity had joined the company as an ad administrative assistant and worked her way up. So they were in the same exact area. The unlikely pair made for a really great friendship, with Chastity often admiring the wisdom that Jaina had when it came to talking about serious topics like kids and marriage and careers even with her not having any type of experience what's the word yeah experience mm -hmm. in that category they would travel overseas together they would go to bars together constantly laughing and dancing because their job they would just go overseas with the job and mm -hmm. they would always make sure that they went together <laughs> that's so cute i know jana's apartment while they were gone caught on fucking fire what yep and with that Kitty trigger warning. All her clothes, furniture, and most importantly, her 21-year-old cat oh, named no. Sally were gone. Mm. She had to do counseling for the cat alone and, like, losing all of her shit for over a year because she mm. was just trying. Like, you just lost fucking everything. That is insane. Mm. And the kitty. <laughs> it makes my heart hurt. But Chastity was there. And she had her come live with her. Like, no questions asked. She was like, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just lost everything. Yeah. 
And they're like best friends. They would sit on the floor and drink wine together and just talk about life, often saying that she was often like cry laughing. She uplifted Chastity, telling her how amazing of a mom she is and would not allow her to give up on her college classes, no matter how much she was feeling like down and Mm -hmm. helped her through it. So eventually, Jaina found her interests were more in marketing and branding and not the oil industry. So she found her way to Washington, D.C., where she had applied to MBA programs and got accepted to Johns Hopkins University. Nice. Yeah. Her friend Marissa invited her out for lunch, and she noticed the bag she was using, which was a Lululemon bag Mm -hmm. with some long-ass fucking quote on it that I'm not going to (laughs) read. Some bullshit about getting your life together and being... So her friend tells her all about this company, and she's just absolutely shook it to hear that they're charging $54 for a pair of shorts, and that's like one of the most least expensive things at the time. Her friend tells her that she knows they're expensive but that she loved how they made her feel. Mm -hmm. And also that the clothes made her want to work out more. She also told her how, uh, like, the perks that they have, which is free yoga classes, gym memberships, and they get, like, a huge-ass discount on the clothing. Wow. And they get, like, 70% off off the clothing. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit as well. Okay. Because uh, Lululemon actually pays for their gym memberships and like the yoga classes, anything athletic, they pay for it. And then in return, they wear their Lululemon outfits. Advertising. Which then, yeah. exactly, exactly. It makes sense. Think about it. Makes sense. Think about it. Makes sense. Jada realized that Lululemon's business and marketing techniques were exactly what she was looking to branch out in. She noticed how the company held, helped girls feel good about themselves even when dropping 90 plus dollars on leggings <laughs> it's a cult i'm just kidding <laughs> Jalen, my sister-in-law is obsessed with lululemon the last time we were out there like everyone was wearing them and brayden was like okay i think i might need to look into this and i was like oh because <laughs> <laughs> they have men's stuff too because his dad wears it also mm-hmm. <laughs> she interviewed at the bethesda store and got the job She wanted to learn more about the creative marketing they were doing and could also use some spending money. But soon she started realizing that the job was offering something that she wasn't expecting. Friends. Since moving to Bethesda, she lacked the companionship that her and Chastity had. The girls there all became super close, trusting one another so much that they all didn't even like use the lockers there. They would just all set their wallets and purses and all their stuff on the same chair all together. They had, like, an inside joke where <laughs> they called each other names that were associated with the name Jim. So, like, there was a Jim, a Jimbo, a Jimmy. <laughs> like, they all had, like, this little inside thing. Jim, James, Jimothy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they would cover each other's shifts, too, and they were super real about it. They would be like, hey, I want to go, like, see my boyfriend or something. Would you mind covering my shift? And they'd be more than happy to, honestly. Just It was a pretty relaxing environment. And when you work at a job where you actually get along with your coworkers, that really is how it would be. Oh, yeah. That makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. It's like my job now. Mm-hmm. Fucking, I don't like dread going in whatsoever. I love going in. Uh, and it's because of my coworkers and the atmosphere. <laughs> Aw, shout out to your coworkers. <laughs> Nicole listens, my manager. Hi, Nicole. <laughs> So 
So all the girls became super close. Like I said, everything's going well. By this point, Jaina had a long-term serious boyfriend that lived in Seattle, Washington. We're just going to say Seattle so we don't get confused with Washington, D.C. Okay. Seattle, Washington. Uh, she had visited him, and they would visit often with one another. And one of the most recent visits, they were actually looking at engagement rings together. Mm-hmm. Jaina wasn't planning to stay in Bethesda. She was actually just finishing up the last couple of months of school to get her degree and then was going to move up to Seattle, Washington with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. soon fiance. In 2010, she was a supervisor at the store and one of her friends slash coworkers asked if Jaina would write her a recommendation for a position in the marketing department of Lululemon's headquarters in Vancouver, Canada, which was super close to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Jaina was super interested in this as well, but didn't want to go behind Elia's back and like apply for this without talking to her first. So instead of just applying, she pulled Elia to the side, like into the back of the store and talked with her and told her like about what her goals were with moving up to Seattle and that she wanted to apply to. But she absolutely, absolutely would not apply if Elia didn't want her to. Okay. Like. Let her know, no hard feelings. I can wait until later and, like, apply after you get the job or something. But Elia was like, no, you should apply. <laughs> Which yeah. is just really sweet. Like, it tells you the friendship that this store had. Yeah, that's really sweet. January 2011, Jaina's brother was deploying to Iraq, so her family met her and him up in North Carolina to see him off. After they said their goodbyes, as he boarded his plane, Jaina and her dad drove back to, Was- drove back to Washington, D.C., they had good talks. They stopped by Jaina's friend's house and picked up a bridesmaid's dress because she was going to be in a wedding in Minnesota the next day. Mm-hmm. David was also leaving the same day back to Texas, and Jaina was going to take him to the airport. But that morning when they woke up, he could see that she still needed to pack and still needed a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. And so he just lets her know, like, hey, it's fine. I'm just going to take the subway to the airport. You continue to pack. It's all good. It was January 20th, 2011, and it would be the very fucking last time that he would ever see, hug, or tell his daughter that he loved her in person ever again. No. Yeah. So let's get to know Brittany now. You're going to find out real quick who the bad person is. Okay. I can't keep it suspicious. I just can't because... (laughs) They're dumb bitches, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just don't be a dumb bitch. Mm-hmm. And dumb bitch stuff won't happen to you. Quote it. She said it. Put it on a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Cross stitch. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> so Brittany was born outside of Seattle, Washington on May 19th, 1982. And is one of nine kids. Oh, no. Yeah. To mom and dad, Earl and Larkita Norwood. The family was Catholic, going to church regularly, and her parents worked hard for their kids to have luxuries, like living in a two-story, 2,400-square-foot home, good clothes, fed well, and also sometimes were even able to put them in private school. Soon, though, things started to get rough when Earl's $33,000 salary was not stretching as far as it used to. Mm -hmm. Neighbors started noticing they were struggling, like, a little bit, like, not like a like bad but neighbors were noticing enough to care when they were noticing that he was working earlier hours until later hours as well mm. yeah so one day one of the neighbors leslie was out talking with britney's older sister and her older sister was like if you ever need a babysitter like i would totally love to do that 
And she ended up taking her offer and it was going really well, which actually means like a lot because their son has epilepsy. So when she like brought it up to her husband, she was just kind of like, we got to be serious about this. Like they did not take this lightly, like Mm -hmm. this decision lightly. Eventually, every once in a while, Brittany would tag along with her. Sometimes, though, when she was there, things would start to go missing. When it was just her sister there, everything was fine. But when Brittany was there, the money that they had in their bedroom, which nobody was allowed in, started going downhill. Mm. So they had like this, I'm picturing it as like one of those water gallon Mm-hmm. things that you would put your change into like back in the day you know yeah and her husband will always do that and every time Brittany was there it would just go lower and lower and lower oh no and then the one that like made it so this was no longer going to be a thing was that in her closet she had a box of her mom's jewelry who had passed away mm-hmm. and every once in a while she would take it out and like look at it because if she was like missing her mom or something you know And she started noticing that there was less and less jewelry and getting suspicious. Yeah. None of the jewelry was like real gold or worth any value other than sentimental reasoning. Mm -hmm. But Leslie also knew that they were going through a bit of a hard time and didn't want to add on to that. So instead of saying anything to either of the girls or their parents, she just stopped having her sister babysit. Which is like understandable but the amount of no repercussions is what leads this to where it goes yeah that's why they say communication is always key always always be honest always be open but i know where like i see where her heart's coming from Mm -hmm. she's like she knows they're struggling and she has three kids and they're not struggling so she's just like trying to take the higher road in a sense Mm mm-hmm but it just, I mean, if this didn't happen, then it, w- it would be fine. But it does. So, mm-hmm. like, you, you can't. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Okay, so. Jeez. <laughs> In high school, Brittany was an amazing soccer player, making varsity her freshman year. She would rarely raise her hand in class, but always knew the questions. She was super smart. She had a super outgoing personality, and everyone in her high school thought she was super beautiful. She wasn't really bothered by the everyday high school drama and just always kind of moved past things. And my theory on that is because she's such a good liar and thief that <laughs> she's like, well, I'm not going to I'm not gonna spew on that. I'm just going to – it'll be fine, like mm-hmm. whatever, because she's just doing such horrible things. <laughs> You know, the fact that she's a thief, I think, has to do with the amount of children in the family. Oh, that would make sense. Kleptomaniacs, people who enjoy stealing, they do it because they they want attention. Mm-hmm. And they think that breaking a rule is the only way to get it. And That's it gives smart. them a high as well. I mean, they like stealing because it makes them feel mm-hmm. good. But also, if they get caught, then they get attention. Attention, yeah. Hmm. Your brain is braining things. Surprisingly. (laughs) Her teammates on the soccer field were initially super drawn to her. But then again, things started going missing. One of her good friends slash teammates, 
her wallet kept going missing. And she was just like, God, I got to stop misplacing this wallet. Oh, no. And Brittany's like, yeah, you should take better care of that. (laughs) Meanwhile, she's fucking pocketing it. Oh, my God. Eventually, they found out what was happening. When she broke into their lockers, stole their textbooks, and sold them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The team finally confronted her, and she just apologized. And was like, I'm so sorry. Like, brought on the waterworks, whatever she had to do. (laughs) From then on, people let other people know that Brittany's really fun to hang out with, but be careful because she lies and steals. Mm -hmm. She then joined college in New York, but ended up leaving school just 11 credits shy of graduating because she got kicked out. For stealing. Weird. Weird. She moved to Washington, D.C., where two of her sisters also lived. She made up some lie about not being able to walk stage because there was some something wrong with her diploma or something, but that she did graduate. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar. <laughs> really familiar. Brittany would go on to date a dentist named Murray Branch. See, we got our two Murrays. He's not in it for very long. Maury. But. Like, Maury the show. Maury. 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 Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You are not the father. (laughs) Exactly. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maury. Okay. So she starts dating Maury Branch. Uh, She met him while she was working at Bank of America as a bank teller. I don't know how she kept those sticky fingers clean there. I do not. How? 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 By 2006, they were not only dating, but she was also working in the dental practice at his office as a manager. But soon, this dentist started noticing things going missing. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he got skeptical that she was lying about having her degree. Because she doesn't. She was 11 credits shy. Mm -hmm. So, they broke up, and she left the dental field in 2007. This has very... Jody Arias and who was my girl two weeks ago? Oh, uh, Jennifer. Jennifer Pham. No. Yes. Pam. 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 That's what it was. Yes. Pam. <laughs> it has very those vibes. It's, I guess I'm having a, a theme this year so far. Never trust a J name. <laughs> right. Or a B. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Just do better. Yeah. And don't steal stuff. Just don't. (laughs) Okay. But wait, there's more. Yay. After Brittany and Maury separated, he started seeing someone named Marjorie. Doing this case, I realized how much I love saying Marjorie. Marjorie. I love that name. Marjorie. (laughs) You're weird. (laughs) Seeing it written too, Marjorie. (laughs) (laughs) Once Brittany found out, about them seeing each other, she started calling him weekly. No. One day. No. 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 <laughs> One day, Brittany messages Maury, Maury and said she was on her way to his house. He just ignored this text thinking she'd get the fucking hint, but she did not. When they got home, they found a bunch of Marjorie's things missing. <laughs> oh, my God. 
a Movado watch, diamond earrings, her Vera Wang perfume, which she steals so many people's Vera Wang perfumes. I don't know what, like, we need to look up what the <laughs> perfume was of this year because I swear to God it's Vera Wang because she steals so many of them. <laughs> she really does like this perfume. I mean, Vera Wang perfume is nice. So I love Vera Wang. I need to go sniff it. Not probably not knife ni- knife enough to steal it. <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> nice enough to steal it. I mean, just get a new hobby. She has money. Yeah. She's working at Lulu. Like she's fine. No, no. Well, at one of the moments that she steals a Vera Wang perfume, she's working at Lulu. But mm-hmm. we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, she also Marjorie noticed that checks from her checkbook were missing. Uh-uh. Her house keys and her cell phone. They put their thinking caps on and figured out that it was Brittany because mm-hmm. she still had a key for the house and she knew the disarming code for the house as well. Suspicious. Suspicious. Oh, and she said she was coming over. So, like, it, it adds up. Yeah. Way to give yourself and then away. It's all, yeah. And then it's all Marjorie's things missing. Like, tell me you're a psycho ex-girlfriend without telling me you're a psycho ex-girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> So they do the right thing, and they get a restraining order. There you go. Smart. Marjorie did find her phone in her car, but somehow Brittany had gotten the number to it, and she would constantly just call it and then hang up. Yeah, I know. What is what is with that? What? What? <laughs> I, I've... I've never done that. I don't know. I don't get it. Why would you call and no. then hang up? Why, I've why? never like sent hate online. I've never stalked. Like this is so fucking weird. Yeah. I cannot fathom this. Marjorie ended up telling the courts that she felt she was in immediate danger and requested that Brittany be ordered to return her stuff and also undergo psychological testing. Same with Murray. He let the courts know that he wanted the same for her. And that when they were together, that she would actually, like, punch and throw things at him. And Brittany had admitted before to, like, a friend that, like, there was one day that she just went off. That that he was dating Marjorie while he was dating her. And she found out. So she threw stuff at him. Which isn't true. You don't get to do that. No. Uh, he wanted her to get put into anger management counseling and sense. did not want to press charges. Mm-hmm. He wanted her to get help. Aww, he's a good guy. Exactly. Good dentist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, she came to court, signed the paper, stating that she would stay away from them, so signed the restraining order, but did a different type of paperwork where she wasn't admitting to the accusations. So she didn't have like a record or anything. And they don't have, like, proof, so what can you do? Six weeks later, this dumb bitch is stalking them. Oh, my God. Let it go. She would sit in her dark blue Honda Accord in the alleyway of Murray's home and just fucking watch them. And then when they would leave to do, like, everyday things, like go to fucking Office Depot, she would follow them. What in the Joe? (laughs) What is happening? Brittany, honey, get a fucking hobby. The court set a new hearing to decide if they would take criminal charges against her. And obviously, her friends are like, what's up with this restraining order shit? Mm -hmm. And she tells them that Marjorie is obsessed with her and forced Mari to get the restraining order to show that he loves her. 
Oh my god. Yeah. And if, like these are her friends who ha- don't have any reason to not trust her yet, so they're just like, "Oh yeah, fuck that bitch." Ooh. <laughs> Why you gotta spin the narrative like that? Why you gotta do it? <laughs> she started working at a high-end hotel called Willard Intercontinental at the front desk that's just two blocks away from the White House. She was really good at her job, and her coworkers really liked her as well. She would actually be the one that people would send the like grumpy guests to or the people who like weren't getting their standards met and she always figured out a way to defuse it and get them like what they wanted yeah she was you (laughs) i'm over here like you're screaming at me about your coffee being one degree go make it your fucking self (laughs) don't send them to me hi how can i help you what can i I do do to make your day better i'll fix it (laughs) i'm like this is what you're complaining about Mm unbeknownst to all of her coworkers, they had no idea that she was going through this like restraining order or court hearing stuff and she actually had to go back to court because her two thousand five hundred sixty five dollar rent was two months past due and they took her to court so she ended up getting evicted so what about the stalking charges well She had asked the judge to reschedule her hearing as she had just started the work at this hotel. And this is a very well-known hotel and a really good job to have. Mm -hmm. So the judge went ahead and granted it. And she just never showed up. Um, So he put out a bench warrant, which I looked up what a bench warrant is. And it means a process of a court in which a criminal action is pending, directing a peace officer to take into custody a defendant in the action who has previously appeared before the court upon the accusatory instrument by which the action was commenced and to bring the defendant before the court. But the thing is about Washington, D.C. is that there is so much fucking crime that within a year of this bench warrant being out, Mm -hmm. if you're not arrested or like pulled over or anything, it literally just goes away. Okay. Okay. Poof. Gone. Damn. This is mostly for like big crime areas that just don't have the time to be, I guess, fucking with this type of, quote, petty theft Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and stalking. It's really annoying, but it is what it is. So because she got evicted, she ended up moving in with one of her sisters. At her sister's house, she stole $300 from her. Why? And then when her sister confronted her, she just gaslit the fuck out of her and made her sister apologize for accusing her. But, like, deep down, her sister knew, like, it was her. (laughs) I had that exact situation happen. Really? But not with my sister. With my brother. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see that happening. (laughs) Like, literally stole money out of my pocket. And you were like, excuse me. Because I, I, I took a nap and then I woke up and it was gone. Yeah. And I was like, You're like, hello? Money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Anyway. So she started going to the gym like a lot. She would do kickboxing classes, yoga classes. She would do it all. Get that anger and out. And then, mm-hmm, and she started thinking about a new possible career change, personal trainer. And she knew just the place that might be able to help her get there. Lululemon Athletica. Mm-hmm. So, Brittany's job at Lulu. 
We're going to go to two different stores here. So timeline right now is Washington, D.C. Okay. When Brittany first met the manager at Lululemon in Washington, D.C., she felt Brittany was a perfect fit for the store. Her coworkers and everyone loved her. They would hang out, go to yoga classes together. But then the sticky fingers would show up. Soon girls were telling the manager how money was running short on the till at the end of the night when they were counting it. Merchandise was missing and even sometimes their wallets. Like, get a new hobby. come get a new hobby. Brittany ended up saying that money from her wallet was also missing, but the manager was able to put pieces together and took note that the only time that things went missing is when Brittany was there. Huh. At that time, this was all speculation, right? <laughs> She's a detective. What can you say? <laughs> So at this time, it was all speculation. They didn't have proof yet. Lululemon would run a shop night for their employees. And this is the night that they would end up getting 70% off all retail, which was great because they had to wear all the products to all the places. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> they did. Yeah, it's, so, it's super cool. And they had a budget of $1,000 so they can ring up $1,000 and only pay $300 for the things. But they couldn't go above $1,000. Mm-hmm. But... Brittany asked her manager, she was like, can I go a little bit over? Cause I haven't been able to like afford that much and like showed her the classes she's going to and like how much useful a little bit extra could be. And she was like, yeah, it'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. She went over double $2,196 worth and only paid $659 with the 70% off. Holy shit. Yeah. And her manager was like, holy shit i feel taken advantage of like mm-hmm. i was kind and you're gonna go and rack up double over double the amount that you're given like she thought she'd go like a couple hundred over like yeah no she took full advantage of the situation so she ended up calling Brittany into the office and was like talking with her to which Brittany responds why is it such a big deal with like an attitude and that she was fed up and she fired her she was like, no, um, the accusations of stealing, now this, like, fired. But she doesn't back down, even when she's wrong. She called a friend that was working at Lululemon in Bethesda and learned that other girls, I'm pretty sure I read at a source, like, at least 27 other girls had also, go o- had also gone over the budget. Not as much as her. But it was a common thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And because of this, she ended up getting like corporate involved. The company's regional office got involved and started an investigation. <laughs> Long story short, the termination was overturned and there was no concrete proof that she was stealing and she was given back her job, but allowed to choose which store she went to. Of course. Yeah. And she chose Bethesda. Mm-hmm. January 18th, 2011, Brittany met Rachel, the manager at Bethesda, Lululemon Athletica store, which is the one who found mm-hmm. the, the store in a mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She already had a bad feeling. So out of everyone in the store, Rachel is the only one that knows about her past. And I'm pretty sure she she's either a really great person or she signed a contract to, like, not talk about it with other people because nobody knows her past and why she's actually there besides Rachel. But she was 
forced to accept her because mm-hmm. she was allowed to choose what store. So now we have Brittany and Jaina at the store. Everyone's getting along great. Brittany and Jaina and the other girls are all friends. There's nobody not trusting people. Like the when Brittany would go across the street to the bagel shop, they would the girls would give her their credit cards to mm-hmm. also get them food. Everything was fine. They do yoga classes together. Brittany was working on her personal trainer uh, license. It was all going so well. However, Brittany's mm-hmm. roommate, who Dan Morris calls Lisa in the store to save her identity, the bills were getting higher and higher each month. And she was starting to get suspicious. So Brittany's the one that's on the bills and Lisa's not. So Brittany would be like, oh, it's $1,000 this month. And then next month, it would be like 1200 And then next month, it would be like 1600 It just kept going higher. And Lisa was just fucking confused. Like, why? So she asked Brittany to also put her name on the bill so that she can see what's going on. To which she found mm-hmm. out that Brittany had not been paying the gas or electric bill and was pocketing Lisa's money. What? Slightly worse, her things were going missing, including expensive perfumes. Oh, her br- this one's gonna oh this one's gonna piss you the fuck off. <laughs> you ready to hear Jamie's pet peeve, which is a good pet peeve to have? <laughs> her checkbook that she was waiting to come in the mail had not arrived, but then the next thing that she knew, she's getting a notification. That a $1,600 check has been deposited through her bank account. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. It's not a pet peeve. It is the law. You cannot open That's the law. I know. Mail. It is against the law. You. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yep. You fucking fuck. <laughs> so I said it's valid. Peeve. Yeah. It's a pet peeve when people break the fucking law. <laughs> Welcome to bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't commit crimes. It's just, I knew that would get under your skin. I couldn't wait to tell you that part. You're a dick. <laughs> so if you haven't gathered, she opened her mail. Yeah, no way. <laughs> they stopped talking. Like, of course. And Lisa made plans to move out. Brittany was being called Good. by a debt collector left and right. Because she had $19,953 in student loans from the college that she did not graduate from can i just like what she's stealing all this money what is she spending it on she's not paying her bills she's oh, not paying her i can tell loan. you now oh i can tell you that right now okay she goes to the most expensive hair salons the most expensive nail salons buys a lululemon products when she's not stealing them uh <laughs> only goes to expensive things there's one time i have this at the very end but i'll just put it in right now it's totally fine she goes to a hair salon to get her hair done this hair salon is like 270 plus like that's like the minimum of what it starts at Mm. gets her hair done goes to go to pay reaches in to grab her wallet and it's missing quotations what she then starts accusing the entire salon like screaming at them that they stole her wallet Absolutely not. And the lady there that did her hair is like feeling bad that somebody in her salon might have actually stolen her wallet. So just lets her go for free. Are you kidding me? 
but she does call her like a couple days later and like she did like a bag check on everyone like checked into her store talked to them like she knows her girls yeah I mean, and I'm knows they didn't do this and she's like you know like nobody stole your wallet here and i'm gonna need you to to pay for this mm-hmm. she blocks her oh my god mm-hmm. that's not no that's not how that works no <laughs> okay so Jeez. shut up without telling anyone about this she starts going onto craigslist and she's looking up things like sugar daddies sugar daddies looking for help seeking a sweet sugar baby and dozen of, of other similar posts which there's there's nothing fucking wrong with that mm-hmm. get your coin without using your sticky fingers <laughs> yeah. like find you a man that just wants to hand you the money that's evidently what you need <laughs> and the problem though is that she's not telling anyone so it's super fucking dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like, at least have one person in your life that you can trust with shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like you know what, blood bathers? If you're going to go do this, just, just send us a DM. Just so we have it, you know? <laughs> we'll keep you safe <laughs> as much as we can. <laughs> the amount of times that you and I have talked about having, like, a, a hotline number between us if, like people are going to go on a date that don't really have friends so that they could like let us know <laughs> but we're only two people so we haven't done it <laughs> <laughs> it's a desire okay we want to keep y'all safe mm-hmm. uh so there's no proof that she was a sex worker which again not a bad fucking thing mm-hmm. but she had many text exchanges with different men that insinuated it but there's no proof okay but it's not a bad thing if there was trying to trying I'm, to get that into people's getting noggins. Your, <laughs> getting your drift here. It's not a big deal. And she was trying to get her coin possibly without stealing. Brittany and Jana worked occasional shifts together and Brittany would often bring up the Pacific Northwest as she was from Seattle and knew that Jana was planning to move there in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Brittany's true color started to show. One of her coworkers, Courtney had her watch watch (laughs) her irish wristwatch (laughs) exactly (laughs) had her watch her bag while she ran to the restroom and before she ran to the restroom she had taken out her vera wing perfume sprayed herself Brittany was like oh my god i love that perfume to which courtney then sprayed some on her like super cute friendly Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. and then had her watch her bag came back out left the store when she got home to take out her perfume, it's missing. No way. No way. So she calls the store and she's like, oh my God, Brittany, did I leave my perfume there? Because now she's like trying to remember, like, did I put it in my bag? Like, mm-hmm. maybe I set it down somewhere. And Brittany's like, I, I don't see it. <laughs> Such a bitch. Brittany the bitch. <laughs> it's Brittany, bitch. It's Brittany, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but... She, like, literally tells her, she's like, it's okay, you'll, you'll end up finding it eventually. Okay. Like, Don't patronize me. <laughs> right? How dare you? How dare. March 4th, 2011, Courtney had her bag in the back of the store now. Same girl. In it was her wallet that had $13 in it, a $10 bill and three, three $1 bills. Mm-hmm. By the end of the night, without her ever opening up her wallet... She now had $3 in her wallet. Oh, my God. 
She found it really fucking odd, though, that somebody in the store would just steal such a lousy amount of money. Like, literally, why? And she started thinking of everyone in the store, and she literally couldn't figure out in her brain who it could be. She trusted everyone there. Mm -hmm. Which is so fucking sad. So the next day, still being puzzled but needing to, like, mention this, she brings it up to Rachel. And Rachel's just like, please tell me you're kidding. Like, please tell me you're setting you're setting me up. Mm. And she's like, no, I'm not. Like, my perfume also went missing. And she's just like, fuck. Three other girls have come to me about missing stuff. Oh, shit. Yep. So March 9th, she held a meeting. And six of the girls, including Courtney and Jaina, but no Brittany, showed up. They talked about normal business, about, like, protocols, about bag check, all that stuff. And then it casually went into the topic of the missing items. Brittany had worked all the shifts and also, as a business policy, a ship supervisor is supposed to check bags. When doing so, they checked Brittany's bag as she was leaving. She remembers that she saw a Vera Wang perfume in her, in her bag. At the moment, she didn't think anything of it. She just thought, oh, cool, she has a Vera Wang perfume. It's probably a yeah. popular perfume because of how many times I've said Vera Wang perfume in this <laughs> case. <laughs> but the puzzle pieces are starting to go together. And the picture is being revealed. And they figured out that that was Courtney's perfume and she had stolen it. So they know they can't go to the police yet because there's no cameras in this store. Like, I know Bethesda is supposed to be like this really grand, nothing bad ever happens place, but still have cameras in your store. You're selling $98 leggings and you can't afford cameras. Bullshit. Shut the fuck up. Bullshit. Care about your workers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) So they knew that they would have to pretty much catch her in the act in order to do this. And they even joked about getting a nanny cam and setting it up, like taking care of it themselves. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they never got to that point. And by then, the two masked intruders had already made it into the store. Mm. All right. In the timeline now, we're going to the night of the attack. So we're jumping forward. Okay. Jaina was not supposed to work this night on March 11th, 2011. But she was covering for a coworker slash friend that wanted to leave town to see her boyfriend. Sweet. I know. They were both scheduled. Jaina and Brittany were both scheduled for 3 p.m. to close. But Jaina came in around 12 to help with the inevitable Friday chaos. Okay. Her and Courtney joked with one another about how Jaina has to close with the thief alone. <laughs> Talking a little bit of shit, but granted. Oh. It's warranted, okay? <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. And uh, they joked about, like, catching her in the act and finally, like, being able to fire her and not have to worry about this anymore. Mm -hmm. The night went pretty good. They had some regulars come in. They actually weren't too busy compared to a normal Friday business day. Courtney was working her second job that night and had offered that if she got off early that she would come by the store with Jaina and, like, help her close and be with her. She ended up getting off later than she was supposed to. And sent Jaina a text. Hey, just got done with work. I'm exhausted and have to be back at 7 a.m. I'm headed home. Unhappy face. Sorry. Hope you survived. No. Yeah. She does not. That's... 8.57 came. And they had like a regular in the store for like an hour. And they were just like chatting and buying stuff and whatnot. And then... 
they left. So they left at 8.57 and they ended up just locking the door then because they closed at 9. And they're yeah. like, fuck it. No more people. <laughs> like, it's 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Not like when we went to, what was it, Jamba Juice? And they closed like 20 minutes early. And I was like, Jamba. <laughs> yeah, that's like I went to Subway and they closed like half an hour early. And I was like, yeah. But I'm hungry. Like, I'm just hungry. <laughs> It's like when you go to Subway or Jamba, those are like you're craving specifically that. Yeah. You don't just go there to go there. Right. <laughs> if you want convenience, you just go to McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like the Subway, like I opened the door, the door was open. I looked at the time on the door. I was like, cool, they're not closed yet. And I lean in and they're like packing stuff up. And I was like, you guys are you closed? Closed? They're like, yeah, we closed. Yeah. I'm like, okay, bye. Okay. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I'm just going to leave now. <laughs> <laughs> So 9.30 came, and they were ready to head out. Brittany checked Jana's bag, and Jana checked Brittany's bag, to which she noticed a merchandise item with the tag still on it. Yikes. She asked where the receipt was, and Brittany was like, oh, I threw it out, which was super common because workers aren't allowed to return stuff. So often, whenever they bought things, they would just throw the receipt away. She asked her who rang her out, and she says Chioma. Jaina tried to check the register, but since it was already shut down, they couldn't bring it up. And she was like, it's, it's okay. She's like, okay, well, we'll just check it tomorrow. Mm. They then closed and went their separate ways. Jaina called Chioma to ask if she rang out Brittany. And she was like, nah, fool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I did not. She then immediately called Rachel and was like, got her. Caught her red-handed, and Rachel's like, cool, I'll fire her in the morning. Then, the next thing she knows, she's getting a call from Brittany. And she's asking her to come back to the store because she left her wallet there and needed her subway and bus card. Brittany's like, okay, that's totally fine. I left my laptop there anyway. Gives me a better excuse to go back over there. Mm -hmm. So she gets in her car, pulls up in front of the store. It's her... um, Silver two-door Pontiac G5 is her car, which matters. (laughs) Okay. She pulls it up to, like, the very front of the store, like, not even in, like, a parking spot because they were just going to be, like, in and out. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to go back to the investigation because they just both went into the store, and now we're where we're at. (laughs) Brittany was released from the hospital the same day that she went into the hospital with minor injuries, with the worst one being on her forehead that needed a few stitches. They found it so off that two masked criminals would attack the store with no weapons. All the weapons that were used were from the store. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. None at all. Also, Keith, our our homeless buddy, mm-hmm. <laughs> he had been completely ruled out. He was no longer a person of interest. And they had not yet, at this time, talked to Brittany in person. So that was their next step. They're eating this elephant one bite at a time. As you should. As you should. (laughs) It's the only way to eat one. Mm -hmm. So they head over to Brittany's place where she's still living with Lisa because Lisa was looking for other apartments. And then this happened and she probably felt bad to, like, fucking move out Mm -hmm. right then and there, you know? Uh, Her entire family was also there. Brittany came up to them, the two detectives. It's Detective Drew Reen, Detective Reuben. I don't know if I said 
their names in a while so just so we know okay uh they ask her if they could talk and she says yes and they go downstairs to a table and they start chatting the detective jury lets her know that they just want to hear more information and that usually after a couple days from an attack you'll you'll start remembering more things Mm -hmm. so let's just start from the top make it drop (laughs) Logan. She told them how her parents wanted her to move back to Seattle, but she had gotten a job offer at the Equinox Gym as a personal trainer, which is where she had been trying to get her personal training from. Mm -hmm. And they had told her that she could start whenever she is ready. So, like, they heard about this, saw her application, and then gave her the job. Detective Reuven knew that this gym was only two blocks away from the Lululemon store, and he found it both very brave but also very odd that she would be so willing to go back to that area so quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, She told them Friday evening. It wasn't that very busy. It was pretty normal, actually. They closed at nine, cleaned up, and went their separate ways. She noticed she was missing her wallet, so she called up a bunch of her coworkers and asked for their, for Jaina's phone number. She said there wasn't a lot of people there as the stores around them, like the Apple store and whatnot. They had already closed. That when they got back to the store, they couldn't find her wallet. So Jaina offered her her bus and subway card so she could get home being fucking kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Detective Drury took out his recorder at this point when she started talking about the intruders. Brittany said they were starting to walk out when the men came out of nowhere. The tall one hit Jaina, and the short one didn't attack Brittany until she noticed him crouching behind some shelves. She tried to run away, but he yanked her by her hair, telling her to shut up. She said uh, her and Jaina were yelling for help at this point. She said both of them wore dark clothes, gloves, ski masks with slits for eyes, and hoodies over their hood. So the ski mask and then the hoodie on as well, hiding any identifiable traits her attacker was probably like five five because he was about two inches taller than her and she says that jana's suspect she says jana's suspect which is an odd word to use Mm -hmm. when talking about your attacker you just say the guy who was attacking jana yeah exactly not like something that you've just planned yeah to call him exactly uh she said he was much taller and, like, taller than Jaina, taller than her, taller than the guy. Like, he was much taller and dra- and dragging Jaina by her hair to the back of the store. She said the two men laughed almost as if they were acting out a violent video game. To which she tried, like, to remember the video game that she was talking about but couldn't think of it. And then Reuben was, like, like, Grand Theft Auto. And she's like, yeah, like that. Weird. Okay. So- <laughs> Her hand started to shake and she started to tear up and then told him about how her attacker made her open up the cash register, then whacked her on the head and then pushed her to the back of the store and threw her onto Jaina, who was deceased. Like they intentionally threw her on a dead body to fuck with her. That's what she's telling them. That's really fucked. She then pauses looks down and then back up at the detective 
and said there was something else that she did not mention to the female officer while at the hospital. Mm. And this thing that she didn't fucking tell anyone, all of a sudden, she says, they know where I live. What? Yeah. And Detective Drury, <laughs> Detective Drury's just like, well, how do they know that? <laughs> like, excuse me? Mm-hmm. And she says, I don't know. They probably looked in my purse and maybe found my bills. I had Comcast bills and a gas bill. To which he says, okay, and describe the guy that assaulted you. She was super vague and said, okay. And from his voice, she was super vague about it. So the detective asked, like, from his voice, how old do you think he was? I guess I'd say mid-20s, she said. And from his voice... Can you give me a race or an ethnicity? Said Detective Drury. I would say he's Caucasian. As far as the color of his skin, I have no idea. And then Detective Drury said, Do you think he was white, black, Asian from the way that he spoke? And she said, the same, Caucasian. Okay. Later on, she talks about how they were calling her the N-word while raping her with a wire coat hanger. Oh my God. It's pretty easy to determine what race that would probably be if that was happening. And I'm talking the harsh N-word. Mm-hmm. Like, bad. <laughs> bad. So, Brittany continues to cry. And the more she talks, the more Detective Drury started to get really uncomfortable. He started to feel like her crying wasn't real. Oh it God. wasn't authentic. Mm-hmm. Buck Detective Reuben was also starting to put this together in his own noggin. So now these fools are on the same brainwave without even communicating or even looking at one another, mm-hmm. which is why Detective Drury wanted Reuben on his team. <laughs> he liked working with him. So when they get to the car, they would kind of like start talking. I'm going to jump forward just a second. So they're starting to put together in their own noggins. Like if... Both of them were going through her purse and got her address. Wouldn't she have had time to make a run for it or at the very least try to, and at the very least, least mention that she thought of it? There was no talk whatsoever about trying to escape from them. It was just complying. And then, like I said earlier, she talked about how they called her the N-word. And while they raped her with a wire coat hanger, her rape kit came back negative no tears no zero nothing especially from a wire coat hanger yeah that'll do some you would have damage exactly detective rubin thought it was super weird that the suspects pushed britney onto jana as well and he says like the entire thing is almost too evil for him to believe which we know there are evil cases Mm mm-hmm but he's right. <laughs> Drewy felt the change in suspecting Brittany, but didn't want to push too hard yet. He asked her one last question. Did her family and roommate know that the attackers might have her address? To which she said, no. Should I tell them? Bitch, what? What does that even mean? Should I tell them Why that you- these two men have my address? Why? Why, Why would you... What? What? 
That is the first thing, first of all, that you say in the hospital to the female cop yeah. that was there helping you. And then you tell your fucking family. Yeah. Dumb. Your roommate. Dumb. I mean, dumb. 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 It was, she just, she just said it. She just said a lie to say it in that moment. Because she's trying to put herself as, as the victim. Hello. So they're like, we're not telling you what to do, but yeah, they should probably know. <laughs> like, and I feel like they probably said it in a way of like, you're dumb. And she probably felt it. <laughs> I hope she did. Mm-hmm. So they go upstairs and the detectives are like, okay, Brittany needs to tell you guys something. And she tells them that the masked men have their address. And her dad's like, okay, well, the fuck do we do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Detective Drury's like, 99.99% of the cases, an attacker will not come to the address of the person they attacked. He's like, but if they do, call 911 immediately. And I'm pretty sure they had, like, a car out there as well to, like, keep the house feeling safe as well. Wow. Wasting more funds and mm-hmm. time and money and mm-hmm. effort. Yep. There is a good reason to why, which we'll get into later for the process that they're taking. But also, this case gets solved in one week. It only wow. takes a week. Yeah. So they're about to head out when Detective Reuben thought of another question. Just like off the top of his head, he looks at Brittany and he asks, hey, does the store sell shoes? And she's like, no, they don't. And he's like, okay. And she's like, but we do have a size 14 men's shoe that's in the back that we use for alterations. Yeah, that's right. Lululemon does alterations. (laughs) And they get a size 14 shoe because every single person can put their foot in a size 14 shoe while they're getting their alterations done. Okay. And he's like, hmm, okay. And then this completely throws out the theory that the attackers brought the shoes in. But now, why would the person put them on? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Except that anyone can fit their foot into it. So, Well, it makes sense once it does. <laughs> once it does, yeah. <laughs> then Brittany's older brother asked if he could actually walk the detectives downstairs, to which they said yes. Once down by the car, he said, this is a quote, You know, I'm happy my sister is alive. I'm thankful my sister is alive. But I just can't get over the fact that, like, why would they spare her? This girl was killed. And my sister only has a few injuries. To which the detectives are, like, kind of quiet. Like, oh, fuck, this is happening. And Detective Reuben just, like, unprompted goes, do you think your sister's involved with this? (laughs) And at that moment, he kind of realizes, like, oh, shit. Reel it back a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. that was a little harsh. (laughs) Because they'd been thinking this for probably, like, the last hour. Mm-hmm. And now her brother's saying this. And he's probably just so antsy to, like, put this thought into the universe with Detective Drury. He just blabbed it out. Mm-hmm. Her brother said, no, no, I don't think that. It's just my sister is a very secretive person. And then he tells them about, like, this hitchhiking story. Which her dad was driving with him and her. And... The car ran out of gas. So he told the kids to stay in the car and wait for him to come back, that he was going to walk down to the gas station, get gas, and come back. Well, Brittany ended up hitchhiking home as a child. Why? Yeah. But the detectives are kind of just like, the story doesn't really show anything. But he was trying to, like, tell her it as a – or tell them it 
as like an example of how secretive she is, I guess, mm-hmm. or like how sly I guess she can be, you know. But after that sep- or after that conversation, they just they went their separate ways. Leaving the house, the detectives came to an agreement. Brittany knew the intruders had orchestrated this all, but it went terribly wrong, and now she was just trying to cover up her involvement in it. Another thing Detective Rubin found odd is that they called her the N-word, start stating that he has never heard anyone in their area say that. And he's he like says, like, I've been going to public school since 1995, and I've never heard anyone say that. And he says that if they were acting like they were playing a video game, they would call her a fucking bitch, not the N-word. Mm-hmm. And De- Detective Drury, being a black man, was like, hey... I'm going to have to disagree. He grew up in the white area of town. And he says, like, I was around when white people would say this to, quote, keep black people in their place. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I was around when there was whites only signs. We went to completely different types of they they lived in the same exact area, Mm -hmm. but lived two completely different lives. And that's also really good that Detective Rubin has never, like encounter this because that means he has good people around him Mm -hmm. so they they talk this out they have their conversation about it you know and then they both come to an agreement at the very least britney's exaggerating the story detective drury could not help but feel a type of dread that britney might be lying he didn't want to believe that a young african-american girl could pull off a crime this bad Mm -hmm. and he especially was having a hard time with the realization that 13% 13% of the population was black, but half of the crimes committed were from black people. And he didn't want another he didn't want another case like this. Yeah. Once back at the station, Reuben and, and Drury went to their cubicles. Reuben had finally found the courage to say what he was really feeling to his colleagues. And what he was really feeling, like they came to the, to the mutual agreement that she was exaggerating or had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Detective Reuben believed that she had done this herself, but didn't want to say it to, to Detective Drury yet. The shoe that was in the store was the main source of doubt in Detective Reuben's mind. That it never left the store, meaning that the killer never left the store. Mm-hmm. The sergeant thought to himself, because he's telling Sergeant Thompson this, and he's just like, sure. She could give hundreds of nonstop blows with whatever weapon at the time. Sure, she could stage two rapes. Sure, she could cut herself and lay all night next to a mutilated corpse and then patiently wait for the cops to be called and make this string of lies. Sure, she could do all of this if she was truly evil. Mm -hmm. That's a thought. Yeah. So the detectives had asked Brittany if she was ever in Jaina's car at one point. To which she said she's never even seen it. But then they found her missing car just a few blocks away from the store. Hmm. Inside the car was a hat with blood stained right where your forehead would go. Right where Brittany had her wound. Mm -hmm. The deepest of wounds. The only one that had to get stitches. Then the next thing they know, I'm pretty sure it's like the next day or something... Brittany is coming into the station by herself on her own free will to tell them something that she forgot. Forgot. Mm-hmm. 
She just remembered that she had been in Jana's car because the two men forced her to go through Jana's bag, get her car keys, and drive her car away from the store. Why then, would they do that? No, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any fucking sense. It will. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love evidence. Uh-huh. Then they walked back to the store, and if she was to say one word or make one sound, that she would be dead. She even tells them that she passed a policeman as they were walking back to the store to try to like, sorry, I hit my mic, guys, to try and amplify how scared she was, how much of a victim she is, that she was so scared that even when she saw the policeman, she didn't make a word or sound. Mm. She's fucked. They keep track of the patrols, by the way, so yeah (laughs) she's fucked though she's walking in this place she's practically putting the cuffs on herself we are about to wrap this up (laughs) (laughs) detective drew and ruben are like "Mm -hmm. so that's why your hat was in the car that you never seen sure 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 (laughs) right 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 okay tell me more we've got (laughs) (laughs) they leave the room for a moment and they come back and they're like okay Brittany, you need to tell us the truth. She gets super defensive. She's like, I have been telling you the truth. I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever. And they're just like, no, Brittany, cut the shit. We see the holes in your story. The evidence is piling on. Most of your wounds are self-inflicted. Some could be real from Jaina fighting back. And other ones are from you handling weapons and then slipping because there's so much fucking blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. Also, she was found with the zip ties. Her, the ones around her ankles, completely fine. But the ones around her hands had teeth marks on them. Weird. Weird how I knew and, that was fucking coming. Right? And they did, they tested hundreds of this brand's particular zip ties. Hundreds to make sure that the abnormal, abnormal, abnormalities. Ab- <laughs> she had a stroke, ladies and gentlemen, and those in between. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> that word. <laughs> They had teeth marks. Mm -hmm. She gets quiet and then asks if she can go home. She just like bows her head and she's like, can I go home? Like super soft. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you recall, but she walked her happy ass in there herself. Uh She can leave whenever the fuck she wants to. She is not there for like you want go home. Bye. Mm -hmm. But. This isn't their first homicide, and they know this tactic, and they're like, okay, we'll take a break. They don't say yes. They don't say no. They just say, okay, we'll take a break. So they leave for a second, and then they come back in with her brother and sister. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They start going over the evidence again with her brother and sister in there, and now her sister is getting very upset. And, like, crying and, like, confused and just, like, what the fuck's happening. So she ends up, like, storming out. Like, can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. The detectives went out to make sure she was okay and left her brother in there with her. I've seen this tactic before. So, yeah. Yep. Um. Wasn't it fucking Chris Watts? His dad came in? Yeah. And he was like. Did you do it? That's when they got the story that she was supposedly strangling the kids. Right, right. And he was like, no. <laughs> now your story is changing. Weird. Okay. so Weird. Weird, 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 weird. So they bring the brother in. All right. 
So she has her brother look around the room to make sure that it's not, quote, bugged. Uh, uh. Ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Do which he does so. And then he's like, I don't see anything. Like, just talk to me. He's like, you need to tell me if you did this. So he's like, you need to tell me if you did this. Like, I will still love you. I won't tell on you. You just need to tell me you can't be going through this alone. But she continues to just keep denying it. And he's still pushing her. He's just like, bro, the evidence, like, you need to talk to me. You need to be truthful with me at the very least. Mm -hmm. To which she says, I don't want to talk about it here. Hey, um, you big dummy. It's an interrogation room. Yeah. It's recorded. You're, you're fucked. And as soon as she said that, signed, sealed, delivered, she's gone. They walk in. You have the right to remain silent. <laughs> exactly. She was arrested right then and there. One week exactly after the, the attack, detectives made an announcement that the suspect had been arrested. Jana's family, so happy. But then they found out that it was Brittany. And they were like, what the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. Super confused. Like a hurricane of emotions is going off. Confusion, anger, sadness. At one point when she was in the hospital and they had just found out their daughter died, they had bought uh, Brittany flowers and like get well stuff. Oh, but they weren't able to send it to her because by the time that they were able to like to send it that day, mm-hmm. she was already released from the hospital. You can't. Cannot. The detectives put together that Brittany must have put together that Jana asking about the merchandise in her bag with the tag still on and asking who checked her out that she must know she is stealing. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're figuring out the motive. And that if she tells Rachel, if Jana tells Rachel, then she'll be fired, which would then hurt her job at the Equinox, which is her personal training job that mm-hmm. she had not had yet until after the attack. So, instead of owning up to her many thefts, she decided to kill Jaina and orchestrate a robbery so then she would get, a, she would get sympathy and nobody would ever know. Mm-hmm. So, while she's in jail waiting for her court hearing, every single fucking conversation, every single conversation, Jamie, every single one, is only about her hair, her looks, her nails. It's never about her being innocent. It's never about her court hearing. It's never asking about a lawyer. No. What in the Jody Arias? Like Exactly. So her defense lawyer starts to sit down with her and goes over her her shit. And he's just like, Bro, my dude, you are guilty. And there's no way. <laughs> There is 0% chance that you are not going to do time. 0%. Mm-hmm. Like, he has no way around this shit. So, he decided that Brittany had a mental disorder, which she probably does. Oh, but we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, which has gone undiagnosed. And something about the night of the murder, she just simply snapped. Okay. That no sane person could inflict the amount of wounds on a person, attack themselves, and then come up with this, like, entire elaborate story just to get out of being fired from a job that they were stealing at. He was trying to get premeditation off the table because he said that Brittany used weapons in the store. She didn't have a weapon on her. Like, 
no nothing within her body like her purse all yeah, of it was from the store sure nothing yeah she also called all her co-workers to get Jaina's number to get back to the store if it was premeditated she would have gotten her phone number while working together earlier that day no, it's kind of like a spur of the moment. And she, she was made, like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. I better get Jaina's number exactly. and have her come back so I can fucking kill her so she doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And he also, like, tries to pull a possibility of she didn't actually mean to kill her. She just wanted to, like, scare her or something. No, that's not But true. then it just went too far. Mm-hmm. I don't think so either. I, I think the the amount of premeditation was, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. And, yeah. And Wait. it was in her fit of rage. You're going to... That 15 minutes, hold the phone. Okay. <laughs> so he's trying to get first degree off the table. Mm-hmm. It's clear, though, that she is mentally ill. All this lying, literally stealing from people she knows, people she calls friends, and people that she sees every fucking day. Since she was little, too, when she would babysit with her sister, she would stalk her ex-boyfriend. She has a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. The autopsy technician went on stand. And he said that this attack had to take at least 17 minutes to inflict more than 300 wounds on Jaina. Oh, my God. No sane person would be able to do that and then and then rub her victim's blood on herself to make it look like she was bleeding more than she actually was. And then lay near the mutilated dead corpse all night and wait for someone to find her. What in the... Mentally ill, but not an excuse. Right. So her defense attorney wanted to get the insanity plea. The last couple of bits that came out uh, through all this was making sense of why the car was moved. Like, why would she take the time to move Rachel's car? I mean, mm-hmm. to move Jaina's car. Jaina's car, right. The answer is Rachel. <laughs> Rachel lives right across the street. And I mean, like, sees the store. Like, no trees, no nothing in the way. She can see the store. Oh, my God. And if she was to see Jaina's car just sitting in the front of the store, her best friend's car at, like, I don't know, four or five in the morning, she'd be like, what the fuck? She'd either go investigate and then find Brittany trying to take care of her criminal act or find it before they were ready for her to find it. Huh. Makes sense. So she made sure to move the car so Rachel wouldn't see it. And then the injury on her head, they're speculating, was from her hitting her own head with either a hammer or like something like it. So we'll use a hammer as an example. When she swung up with both of her hands on the handle of the hammer, she hit her forehead with the side that you use to like take out nails Mm -hmm. and then swung down and hit Jaina. Oh my which God. then caused the four inch yeah. fracture skull going into brain the damage yes <laughs> exactly it makes sense the jury took less than one hour to find her guilty oh my God. <laughs> of course of course like did. you say 40 minutes of paperwork <laughs> yeah they knew they knew going in they were like all right let's just let's just start signing these paperwork exactly they found her guilty of murder and she was sentenced to life without parole and when she got sentenced she like gave this speech about how sorry she was da 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 
And the judge said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Straight to jail. <laughs> fuck this life. Straight to jail. Bye, 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 Straight bye, to bye. jail. <laughs> bye, 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 bye. <laughs> if I was a judge, and that's, I would do that. Right? Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> Subscribe to Bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> that's the case wow. of the Lululemon Athletica murder. Well, that was long and thanks for the deep dive but i what is with these these females man what is with me like being so involved in females this year <laughs> like i told you you're in the closet it's fine <laughs> anyway um do you want to hear a weird uh, fact yeah you know that btk is so fucking pompous that he makes people fill out an application to write him in prison no yeah oh sir yeah like you're you're not that cool dude that is why do they even allow that human decency to have inner connection then i don't know like (sighs) just just get rid of them yeah you have a good good because the, the both of that like the story and that fact both sucked so um <clears throat> good oh okay my good good mm-hmm. katie's wedding is in march mm-hmm. and i have been eyeing these steve madden pumps that are a dupe of a versace pump mm-hmm. it's the ones that you always see ariana grande wearing that make you look like a brat doll mm. chef's kiss well Found them on Amazon for $54. Nice. They look identical. They come in the mail very soon. <laughs> Yay. And I'm excited. We were talking wedding stuff with Katie. Mm-hmm. That's been my good good. Nice. We picked out my nails. I'm going to do a pink nail with clouds. That's what she picked. Cute. I'm going to actually get my nails done. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Here's my good good. I like it. You have a good good? Uh, New York. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I... Being a theater kid going to Broadway, I cried several times just because I was there. Uh, Fucking nerd. (laughs) So amazing. I was overwhelmed with Hades Town. That's the show we saw. And it's, if you haven't heard the soundtrack, go listen to it. If you want to see that show, go see it. It is so good. (laughs) It's amazing. I loved it. And Times Square was amazing and all of of it. I just, New York is cool and I loved it there and I want to go back. Yay. (laughs) So that's my good good. Yay. Yeah. Definitely. We'll have to go there when Wicked plays. Because I fucking love Wicked. Yeah. We gotta do that. Yes. But yeah. So, nice long episode. Only getting one case today because of obvious reasons. Yeah. super (laughs) long. Sorry, guys. I wanted to do an episode. Ashley told me no. (laughs) Hey, it helped you out, too. So you didn't have to cram one in. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. If you were enjoying New York. Yeah. And I walked a freaking marathon. Um. Well, an sure actual one rate review subscribe like we said at the beginning follow us on all our social medias keep up with us dm us whatever we like to hear what you gotta say and we'll we catch do. you next week yes we will but wait there's more bye 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 bye